Anybody out there love Jesus? Amen. Me too. Raise a hallelujah. Amen. Got a joke for you this morning. You guys like jokes? A funny one? I was read them by my wife this week, and she goes, I have a different sense of humor. So you may not laugh. So we're going to be talking about loving our neighbors, so these are neighbor jokes. You guys like neighbor jokes? Yeah, the neighbor said, my internet went down yesterday. I think my cheap neighbor forgot to pay the bill. How irresponsible. <laughs> Stealing some internet. John at the office said, uh, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors. And it also says to love our enemies. And Scott said, yeah, that's probably because generally... They're the same people. <laughs> We're going to talk about loving our neighbor, and I'm going to let you watch a little video here about how not to love your neighbor. See that privacy fence? That is how not to love your neighbor. If you have a neighbor like that, you may need to repent. <laughs> and you may need to ask God to forgive you. And God, uh, last week, uh, Joel talked about um, reaching out to our neighbors. And I really felt led today to kind of go into, into that a little further today. So the, 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 the basis of this, there's several scriptures I'm going to share. Uh, but Romans is just another quote from where we're going to go in Matthew 22 later, but I just want to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Father, today, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, that you have called us as a people to love our neighborhood, to love our neighbors, and God, to bring the kingdom of heaven to our neighbors. And so, Father, I pray today as we get into your word that, God, you would lead us and direct us, and that, God, you would even change our perspective, our thought processes, and that you would renew our mind in what it means to love our neighbor. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. So in last week's uh, message, uh, Joel Haler shared about uh, the simplicity of evangelism, and he gave us some homework. Does anybody remember what the homework was last week? Aurora, a little louder. Sing a little louder. Yeah, reach out to your neighbor. I don't know about you. This week was pretty cold, and my neighbors weren't out at all on the street. And so it was really hard to reach out to my neighbors. But uh, that message that he shared really began to stir something in my heart. But how did you do at even following through or even thinking about following through with reaching out to your neighbor? And you can only answer that. I'm not asking that to guilt you. Many times when we hear a message, it takes us several weeks to actually obey the Lord, right? Sometimes we don't obey immediately, but the Lord is continuing to reemphasize this message of our, our neighbor. But again, this whole theme this year of going inside, God's going inside of us to get out the junk, the pride, the anxiety, the fear, all that kind of stuff. And he's doing inner healing and inner work in all of us. But he also wants us to go outside and reach our neighborhood. Can I have an amen? amen. And so um, <clears throat> I don't know how you did, uh, but in our discipleship group on Monday night, we, we talked about it a little before, and uh, I was really encouraged. Mike Greenia, who is part of our group, he said, wow, he said the very next day, which would, or it was actually that day on Sunday, he said, I got home from church, and he said I was... I was at home, and, and my neighbor next to me was unloading a pit boss smoker. And so I walked over there, and if you guys don't know Mike Green, he loves to smoke meat. Not, we're not talking about smoking this way, guys. We're talking about smoker. My son's a big smoker, and I tell him, people are going to think you really smoke cigarettes. And, uh, but we're talking smoking meat here. And so Mike went over there. It was supposed to be a joke, guys. You can laugh. But Mike walked over to his neighbor and said, oh, wow, you got your new pit boss. And he goes, yep, sure did. So Mike struck up a conversation with him, and he said, man, I love smoking too. And so Mike began to banter and said, well, we're going to have to do some competition on our smokers. But it was just a really neat opportunity where God began to open the door right away on Sunday for Mike to begin to, begin to relate to his neighbor. And so I know we were talking with my, uh, Abraham as well in our group, and him and Ryan we're going to go next door, or not next door, but across the street. The Lord had laid their, their neighbor uh, on their hearts, and so they were going to go do that. And so, and then Karen and I began to talk about it, and, and, and I'm going to share this a little more, but Karen and I were talking about our strategy for our neighborhood, and, and, uh, <laughs> and this is going to sound funny, but um, Karen says, well, I really, want to, I really want to reach out to the pro-green lady. <laughs> And uh, and and because we don't know her name, and so she uh, she she lives on the left side of me, if you're facing my house, 
and um, she, she and her husband used to own ProGreen, and uh, they since have sold it, and he passed away. And so I called Connie this week, and I said, Connie, I think you know this lady, and she gave me her name because I'm looking at getting their names. And so here's what I've done for my neighborhood. This is my neighborhood that I begin to map out, and the Haler house is in yellow there. You see that? And so I've got all these names of my neighbors in our cul-de-sac across the streets in open field, and so I've got Liz to my right, and then the pro-green lady uh, there on my left, and her name is Becky, and so now we're praying for Becky. And then I had another neighbor next to, uh, uh, to, to Becky, and I couldn't remember their name, but I remember Jeff Julian had told me, yeah, that gay guy has given me flight lessons. So I texted Jeff Julian this week, and I said, Jeff, dude, what is that guy's name and his wife? Because what I'm doing is I'm setting up a strategy to begin to pray for my neighborhood, okay? And so then I got their names, and their names are Don and Jane. And so I, this, I made this up before uh, I got the names. And so the others I have fairly much have known and have had a relationship of somewhat in my cul-de-sac with Damien and Carrie, Rodney and Sandy. I wasn't sure about Mark and Christy's name. I see them really, really quiet, and I wasn't too sure about their names, and so I Googled uh, their address, and by golly, it's amazing what you can find on Google. And it's like, yes, that's right, his name is Mark and Karen. He goes, her name's Christy, yes. And then I got Brian and Debbie and Lance and Deanna, Wayman and Carol, and Chris and Rebecca. And these are my amazing, wonderful neighbors. And we walk our dog almost every day down the street, and we go by these houses. But uh, the Lord really put it into my heart to begin to map out my neighborhood and to get their names and to begin to discover who they are and to begin to pray for, isn't that a righteous thought? Pray for my neighbors. Amazing. So I did that, and I began to map this out, and this is what I came up with. And I just want to encourage you. I know uh, somebody came up to me last week, and they were kind of a little disturbed, and, and they said, when I, I, my neighbor, I'm out in the country, and my neighbors are miles away. I mean, you may have to come up with a different strategy. I don't know what you're going to do, but Joel really challenged us to begin to reach out to our neighbors and I loved what Lynn said the last time he was here. He really challenged us about our homes don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord. How many of you, whenever you went to buy your first house, Lord, if you give me this house, this house will be yours. We'll dedicate it to you, and it'll be for your glory. Anybody ever done that? And when's the last time anybody has set foot in your house? When's the last time you had somebody or a Bible study or, a, or somebody in your home? And, and some people, you have home, people in your home all the time, and you, you, there's a worn path. I get that. But for the most part in America, people don't have people in their homes anymore. Is that true? Yeah. Pretty true. Maybe not of Christians. Hopefully Christians do a little better job of that. So, But God put it in my heart, as you can see, to figure out everyone's names on my neighborhood. I got everybody's names now, thanks to Connie, and thanks to Jeff, and thanks to Google. And now, as I've discovered their names, I know a little bit about each one of them. But now I'm beginning to call their names out by name to God. And now I'm praying specifically for Liz. I'm praying specifically for the names of the people on my street. And God is asking me to increase my love 
and my concern for my neighbors. And I'm beginning to ask God what's on his heart for my neighbors. And I want to encourage you to do the same. That's what this message is about today. It's about loving our neighbors. And, um, and so as I've discovered their names, and now I'm in prayer and discerning God what are their needs, um, my sweet neighbor on, that we've probably spent the most time with is Liz on our right, and she is a widow. And we have, I've snowblowed her yard or her driveway. I've picked up limbs. I've mowed her yard. I've done all kinds of things for her. We love her little, not little dog, her big dog Gabby is a big basset hound with the ears that drag the ground. Taking my granddaughter over there to pet Gabby. We've, we've actually become really good friends. Uh, but I haven't done that with the rest of the neighbors. But I have a widow on my right and I have a widow on my left. Bible says in James 1.27 that pure religion that is undefiled is to look after widows in their distress and widows and orphans in their distress and that that's pure religion, undefiled. And so I, I, I really didn't know it, notice that, but uh, I mean, I knew they were widows, but it never had registered in my heart, okay? So I'm just being honest with you. Now, pay attention to where my house is at. I am the gatekeeper of that community. Look where I'm at. They have to go by my house to get to their house. I mean, Liz goes right by my house. The other two, they, they don't as much. But it's our nice little community. I'm reading a book that Chris Glover gave me, and it's called The Missional um, Quest. And um, it said that only 10% of Christians can name eight neighbors. By name. And only 3% of Christians can tell you anything about their neighbor. How about you? What's your neighborhood like? Now, I'm not doing this to guilt us, but the Bible is talking about us loving our neighbor. How can we love our neighbor if we don't even know who they are? How can we love our neighbor and be the very instruments of God? And bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth in our neighborhoods if we don't even know our neighbors. Is that possible? I didn't hear anybody. So, as I mapped out my community and I began to put this on paper, this is getting ready to go on a refrigerator so that we're praying for them daily. There, there, there came this sense of responsibility that I needed to do something. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to kind of begin to, I'm going to pull some of the information that I'm going to give you today. I'm pulling from the Missional Quest book, um, and and I'm putting my own twist to it. I've modified some things to it that kind of helps us to affect the neighborhood that we actually live in. And and so this is some things the Lord's put in my heart. But here's a quote from the book, the Missional Quest. Because God wants to change the way we think. So that's what this message is all about. If we're going to love our neighbor, God wants to change the way we think about our neighborhood. And if we have our neighbors, oops, like the video that we've seen, how much do you think they're going to want to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ from you? If we're having a boundary line dispute, right? Probably not going to listen to us. This is a quote from the missional quest. The tendency for us is to see our neighborhood 
as a place we live, as a place to serve me as I chase my dreams. We want a safe, peaceful, crime-free neighborhood with good schools and employment and all kinds of stuff for our family to do. And the focus is what? On me. I call that the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. But what the book says here, and I love this, however, a missional believer, how many want to be a missional believer on mission with God? A missional believer sees their community differently. Missional people see the, the community as their responsibility to make it a better place. So everybody close your eyes. It is my responsibility, listen, it is my responsibility to make Newcastle a better place. It is my responsibility to make Muncie, Rushville, Richmond, wherever you're from, it is our responsibility to make it a better place. Let that sink in for just a moment. Say, it is my responsibility to make my city a better place. Do you believe that? My neighborhood is not there for me. I am there for my neighborhood to be a better place and to bring the kingdom of heaven to. <clears throat> so, how do we do that? One of the other quotes from the book says, we all want to live in a friendly neighborhood, but connecting with people naturally seems so unnatural these days. I'm going to say that again. We want to live in a friendly neighborhood, but connecting with people in our neighborhood naturally seems to be so unnatural, this day, so unnatural these days. Does it seem unnatural to connect to people these days in your neighborhood? Not for a high eye like Michael. He can connect with a worm. Yeah, it's easy for you to connect to people, right? It's easy for you. It's not easy for everybody, is it? Anybody out there where it's not easy? I was out ministering Saturday on the streets, and it felt so unnatural to go up to people in Dollar General, and, and, and we went to Rural King. It wasn't unnatural for me. The people I was going up to, it was unnatural for them. They, they, were, they were a little taken off by me coming up to them and talking to them. You know what I'm saying? Even in our streets, in our neighborhoods, sometimes, even when we're walking the dog and you pass your neighbor, it is so unnatural in, the, in our culture these days just to really stop and talk and really have a conversation. It's more generally, hey, hey, Mark, how you doing? Good. And going on. Is anybody experienced that in our culture? And the book goes into, you want to know why. And it really hit me uh, when the book said this because I really believe it's on to something. And I haven't figured it out yet. I'm only going to graze the surface a little bit on something today because I've been studying it and I'm going to share some things that I've been studying about it. But it says the reason it seems so unnatural to connect with people, and trust me, COVID did not help that. Our phones do not help that. We have lost our ability to connect with people uh, so, so much in our culture. 
But the book said this, and I think it is so, so, so true. The lack of community experience in our neighborhoods is perpetuated by our belief in individualism and privacy. I'm going to say that again. The lack of community experience in our neighborhoods is perpetuated by the belief system in individualism and privacy. And then it goes on to say this. This belief system grows out of a perceived need of safety and security. Remember Shelley's message and Tom's message about getting our safety and security from God? When we don't feel safe and secure in a neighborhood, when we think have, uh, and we have the belief system of individualism and privacy, it makes it very difficult to connect relationally with people. In our heads, we have come to believe, bear with me here, in our heads, we have come to believe that independence from our neighbor is and should be normal. We actually believe, many believe, some of you don't, hopefully you don't. I, I, and here's, here's some of the, th the thought process, is how many times do we not ask for help because we don't want to burden somebody? That's individualism. Because we believe people don't want to be bothered. We believe people want their privacy. We believe they want, they want to be left alone. We really do have a belief system of individualism and that people want their privacy. So what we don't do is we don't try to relate if we believe that in our thinking. Does that make sense? Well, let me tell you, individualism is not normal. It is, in our hearts, we know better. We long for connection and we long for relationships. But every home and every apartment in this city and on your neighborhood street, every one of them contain individuals and families that matter to God. Can I have an amen on that? And they long for relationship. They have the same concerns, fears, anxiety, hopes, dreams, and longings in their hearts as we do. So we are not created for individualism. Now, I did put a a definition of individualism up here. And, and, I, and I, as I go into this thing about individualism, uh, Alger several years ago did a, a blog on individualism. He sent that to me a couple of weeks ago because it, it was resonating. We were in a meeting and he prophetically felt like there was something going on with individualism. And, and it, it's been, this, so this word individualism has been floating around for the last month prophetically. But individualism, the definition is the habit or principle, and I might even say the belief system, of being independent and self-reliant. It is a belief system that, is, that it is wrong or it is weak to get help from others, that I need to do it on my own. I don't need anyone. And an individualism in America is actually celebrated. And it means we don't need anyone. We are self-reliant. Now, there is a guy online, and this isn't a Christian article by any stretch, but he gives some of the manifestations, and he's not a Christian that, that I'm aware of, and, but he said some really powerful things in his, his article that I read. His name is Mark Green from Good Man Project, 
And he says, we manifest individualism by taking the I or me focused stance in a relationship. And if we do that, we have a need to be clear, right, and in control. We think if we can just convince people of why we are right, we can then move forward in the relationship. But the focus is in self and individualism, not in community or us or we. And so I just want to begin to say that part of the reason why it's so unnatural in our culture is people really do have a need for safety and privacy. And there is a belief system that is really starting to invade our... And, and, and another thing is most narcissism comes out of individualism. Because it's all about you. And we're be quickly becoming a nation that where... And even talked in some of the articles about how people who are str really str strongly believe in individualism won't submit to authority, they won't be told what to do, they, 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 they hunker down and they are loners and they only want their little world, but they have no relationships. You know why you can't have relationships with individuals? You either have to be an Ahab and do whatever you want or, or, or you can't even have a relationship. But anyway, individualism. And what I'm going to do at the end of the service, I, I, we're going to pray a little bit about this, and we're going to begin to, at the end, uh, confess any agreements we've made with individualism, because really the way God has created us is, is not to be individualistic, but to be interdependent. The goal of God in community is interdependence. That, that the, hand, the Bible says the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The body is a unit, and the, the hand and the foot, we need the body of Christ, but we also need our community, and our community needs us. And it's inside a relationship that we are going to do a great job in bringing our, 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 our city and our neighborhood to know Jesus. It's going to be through connecting. Can I have an amen? So we're created for interdependence, the quality or condition of being mutually reliant on each other for the better of the community. There's strength in numbers. I do remember the days. <laughs> I, I, I remember in my younger years where neighbors helped neighbors. I remember many, many wood splitting parties where the guy didn't pay me to come split wood and help him. But we went and we helped and we had a chili, big bowl of chili, and we split wood. Backbreaking because we wanted to bless him and we wanted to make sure he was warm for winter. How many log splitting parties do you see these days? I remember in the community of Ogden when somebody, something happened and, and, and the community rallied around and helped. But here's where individualism comes in is we assume, because of individualism, that our neighbor doesn't want to be bothered. Oh, my neighbor, she may be widowed, but she can afford to have anybody pay, to have anybody come and help her. She probably doesn't want to be bothered. She probably doesn't want me coming over there. Have you ever thought those thoughts? And so what do you do? You don't go over. You don't make relationship. You don't connect. And it's not the need she can't make it happen. It's 
that let's be a community. Let's help each other. And so it's so funny this summer. It was so beautiful. As Liz, uh, such a sweet, precious lady. I mean, she brought us apples. She brought us asparagus. She actually dried apples for us, and they were so good. She put cinnamon on them and everything, and she dried them, and she brought them in bags. She said, oh, make sure you give one for Abraham. Make sure you give one for Rebecca. Make sure you give one for Joel. And she brought all these fruits and vegetables, and then I took my tomatoes from my, to my garden, and I took them over to her, and she didn't have good luck on her cucumbers. And, and, and she was just back and forth. She'd walk up the hill to, I got some more stuff for you. Love her, precious. And I'm seeing all those sticks in her yard that have blown down by all these wonderful winds we've been having lately. Have you guys noticed all the wind we've been having lately? And I'm already eyeing them sticks and going, yep, I got a job to do to pick up sticks this spring before she starts mowing. Love my neighbor. And she loves us. Do you love your neighbor? Our neighborhood needs us and we need our neighbors. Now let's look at the promise or let's look at the command. Many people think this is a suggestion. I read out of the Passion Translation out of Romans this exact passage. And now I'm going to read it from Jesus speaking to his disciples. Actually, he's speaking to one of the Pharisees. One of the experts in the law, which would have been a Pharisee at the time, tested Jesus with this question. And he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second commandment is, the, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, and we read it in Romans, you won't steal, you won't commit adultery, you won't fornicate, you won't hurt your neighbor because you love your neighbor, so you won't do those. So the law, if you want to obey the law, love your neighbor, love God and love your neighbor, and you won't, you won't break the law, you won't break the commands of God, is ultimately what that's saying. But in the Greek, what does it mean to love our neighbor? This is what the Greek word means. To have great affection or care for and loyalty to. I can say I have that for one for sure neighbor. I do have some affection for some others. I shouldn't say that. Do you have affection and care and loyalty for your neighbor? Do you know their names? We're going to talk about the Great Commission here. We're going to talk about how we're the instruments of God. And the scripture says to love your neighbor. I'm going to love my neighbors better. This scripture here means that in the same way that we take care of ourselves and our concerns about our own interests and our own needs, we should also take care and have concern for the interest and the needs of our neighbors. How are you doing with that? Where do you need to grow? Maybe you're at point one and you have no clue who your neighbors are and you need to discover who your neighbors are and you need to discover their names. I don't know where you're at in this process. I'm going to talk about here shortly in about four D's that will help you love your neighbor. And I'll want you to write those down so that you can begin to make a progression of how you can reach your neighbor and love your neighborhood. 
But here's what this command really talks about, is if the life of God is real in your life, if the life of Jesus Christ is real in your life, if God is truly the Lord of your life, then it is going to manifest itself in how you love God and care for God, how you love and care for yourself, and how you love and care for your neighbor. That's ultimately what that passage means. Matthew Henry's commentary says it this way. To love our neighbor as ourself is the second greatest command. There is a self-love which is corrupt. And the focus of that self-love is self. And it is the root of the greatest sins in our lives. And it must be put off and die. But there is a self-love which is the rule of the greatest duty... We must have a due concern for our welfare and our own souls, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and even our bodies. And we must love our neighbor as truly and sincerely as we love ourselves. And then he says, in many cases, we must deny ourselves for the good of others. Love denies itself for the good of others. Love cares and has great affection for its neighbors. And I want to challenge you this week, as Joel challenged us last week, to begin to get to know our neighbors. I want to encourage you to begin, and here's where I'm praying to God as I'm, I'm going through, I'm going to get into step two here in a bit, but it is this thing of God, oh God, create in me a love and affection and a loyalty for my neighbors. Would anybody want to do that with me? To begin to really have an affection and a love for my neighbors. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you four D's that you can do. In the book, the four D's are almost the same except number four. And number four in the book, it is, uh, um, yeah, but we won't go there. I'm going to do my four D's. So, four D's to loving your neighbor. So, write these down. You need to discover, discern, do, and declare. And I'm going to explain what these are. I've already given you a picture of what it looks like a little bit by what I've already done with what Karen and I have done in mapping out our neighborhood. But the first D, which is discover your neighbor. This is where we need to, as Christians, as, as the God's people, this is the homework that you're going to need to start doing. This is the applying the word of God that you're going to need to start doing this week. And you're not going to probably get to number four in the next couple weeks. You might. If, if the Lord opens a door with your neighbor, it may happen the very first week that you're, you're dealing with your neighbor because they may have a need and, and you may get to the declare quickly. But de-discover is this thing of find out who your neighbors are. Discover their names. Discover where they work. Discover if they have children. Discover what their needs are. Discover who they are. I found out something about one of my neighbors. I had no clue that he managed one of the businesses here in town. I had no clue that he did that. Discover who your neighbor is. That's what Joel encouraged us to, to do. Where do they work? Discover who they are. And by asking them questions, listen to your neighbors. Remember their name. Get to know the people in your neighborhood. Because remember, your house belongs to the Lord. And we are lighthouses of the glory of God. So number one is discover who your neighbor is. How many feel like you know most of your neighbors around you? You know them by name. Okay, you got a few people. 
Do you know where they work? Good. If you already know those, enlarge your neighborhood. I've got my little track that I'm starting with, but I've also got the Spice and Pike. There's houses down in the Spice and Pike that I'm going to add to my list as it grows. Because I see myself having a block party at Orchard Park. I see us having uh, all the neighbors come over, and I see us having a tent out there, and I see us having fun and a barbecue and some, ch some stuff on the grill, and I see the neighborhood starting to be a neighborhood in my mind. So discover your neighbors. The second one is discern, and that's how I talked about this begins with praying. Praying for your neighbor. Make a list of your neighbors and start actively praying for them. Ask God, are they saved? Ask God, how is he already working in their lives? Where is he working? I know a couple people on my, my, my uh, road. Some of them are Christians. They love God. And it's not that I'm not going to relate to them because I'm going to continue to, I'm going to relate with them. But, you know, I'm not going to work on getting them saved. I'm going to work on, you know, increasing our relationship and even get them involved in the same goal of reaching our whole neighborhood so that they're working with me. Does that make sense? All right. So discern from God how he wants you to help them. Discern, discernment starts with prayer. And so discern, number two. Number three is do, and uh, you can't do number, if you, if you do number two and you discern what God wants you to do to help your neighbor and how to reach out to your neighbor, that's where the picking up sticks came for me, for my widow, uh, that's where the desire, uh, the discernment came on the block party. Uh, that, that came through prayer. That's seeking God for my neighborhood on what they need. But if you're not going to do what God puts on your heart, praying for discernment's not going to work, is it? So we've got to do what God puts on our hearts to do. That may be make a meal. It may be help pick up sticks in the yard. It may be serving them in some capacity when God prompts us to participate in what he's doing. But our goal is to love our neighbors. What's our goal? Our goal is to love our neighbor as ourselves, not to shove Jesus down their throats. The goal is, yes, we want them to come to know Jesus. But the goal is that out of loving our neighbors, the gospel will be brought to our neighbors. Can I have an amen? People don't care how much you know until you know how much until they know how much you care, right? One of the things that the book said that I loved is that if you start declaring and pushing Jesus on your neighbor before you make friends with them and before you fall in love with them, you're actually a salesman, not a minister of reconciliation. And people spot a salesman People spot someone that the only reason you're reaching out to me is you're trying to get me saved. You're trying to get me in your church. You're trying to, you're, you've got an angle. And if you've got an angle, now I'm not saying that our goal is not to get people saved. Please hear me. We are, we are to get people saved. Can I have an amen? But relational evangelism, when you're talking about your neighborhood and you have time to build a relationship with them, it's going to be through that relationship that you have with them. And when you fall in love with them, it is going to be natural to evangelize your neighbors. 
It is going to come in your con. It, when they see you demonstrating the kindness of the Lord, the compassion of Jesus, where you're laying down your life and you're helping them, and when they have a problem and you remember it and you're down there and you're asking how you can help and you're bringing a meal when their daughter's sick and you're doing stuff for your neighbor, they're going to want to know what's going on inside of you because that's not what goes on in our culture. They're going to say, why in the world are you being so kind to me? Man, I love you. God loves you, and we want to help you. Amen? Now, there is an evangelism that is not relational, and that's what we do on Saturday, Saturdays on the first and third Saturdays of the month. You don't have time to create a relationship. You don't have time when you're on the street to, to, to develop a relationship, and, and that's totally different. You're going to talk to them about Jesus almost immediately. It's like, man, can I pray for you? I, yesterday when we were out, out going around, there was this lady I passed, and I said, hi, and she said, hi. And it was like, mm, go back to her. And I went around the other way, and I came back into Rural King, and I said, man, I hate to bother you. But I said, when I was on the other side, and I, I saw you, and I said, hi, I said, I felt like I was supposed to come over here. Is there anything you need prayer for? And she goes, nope, I don't. But she says, boy, one thing I want to do. She goes, I do want to thank God. And she talked about how her business, uh, the, her and her husband's business was getting ready to go under, but God had miraculously brought in a bill that somebody had owed him for years, and he finally paid it, and it actually brought them into solvency. I said, man, well, then can I pray for your business? And she goes, yeah, yeah. And so we prayed right there in Rural King for her business, and I said, Lord, bless her. God, draw her closer to you. I thank you, God, for you are pursuing her and that you help them, and I just blessed them. I didn't have time to create a relationship. Yeah. She said she was a Christian, and praise God, I hope she was. So, special note. When you're evangelizing and you're going out into Walmart, God does want us to share the gospel right there with people, right where we're at. And it's sometimes very uncomfortable. But I tell you what, if you'll discern from the Spirit of God what their need is and what God is doing, God will open a door. Some shut. Uh, Jeff and Michelle... I actually got the F word on them yesterday. They wanted to be, they said, leave us alone. And so sometimes you get harshly rejected. And sometimes you lead somebody to Christ. Amen. So I'm not talking about that with our neighbors. There may be a situation with your neighbor where you get to talk about Christ almost immediately. That has happened to me multiple times. I do that with Liz all the time. So. Now, let's go to declare. Everybody say declare. declare. Are you still tracking with me? Is it making you uncomfortable? Okay, good. So declare. I put declare here. This was not part of the book. Um, in the Bible, it always talks about us preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, right? But preach is a little intimidating. Because what we think in our culture is this, I'm preaching, right? And so preaching is proclaiming. Preaching is declaring. And so the D part is the part that we very rarely get to with our neighbors. I mean, if the truth were known, we rarely get to declaring the good news of Jesus. That's what D stands for, is declare Jesus to your neighbor. But as we've discovered and gotten to know our neighbor, 
we've discerned what God is go- doing and by, by praying for them, and then we're doing and serving them and helping them in their lives, then we have to eventually move to this D word of declaring the gospel or declaring the good news with our neighbors. And so I think this is where fear comes in. I think this is where we get intimidated. I think this is where we feel like we're inadequate. We don't know what to say. Anybody felt that? It's like, a, what, do I, what, do I, what do I say? All of a sudden, I get really scared. Jesus loves you. That's a good start. But often, we don't know what to say. Anybody been there? Not everybody has the personality that I have. I can talk to a stranger in Alaska, uh, uh, but social anxiety is a real thing, and sometimes we get tongue-tied and we, get, we don't know, even know what to say. So I want to go into, what do we say? What is the, what, what is the words that, that when we say we need to declare Jesus, what, what are the words that we need to use? I mean, and it's not a science. I, I don't want you to say, I don't want you to go and replay this message again and, and, and write down every word that Eric said, and it, it has to be exactly like this, because that is not natural. You've got to get natural with sharing your faith. You've got to get natural in sharing the gospel. You've got to get natural in sharing the gospel. And because we haven't done it, we are very, we are very, very poor at doing it. Can I have an amen? Jeff Hughes does a great job of sharing the gospel. You know why? Because he's practiced and 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 he's made mistakes and he's made mistakes and he's rethought it and he's went back and he's watched Ray Comfort. He's watched all these guys about how they share the faith and what he does is he looks at it and he looks at it and he looks at it and he does it again and he keeps doing it and what? guess what? He's getting better and better at it and I like going with him. Indiana Bob, I went with him yesterday. Indiana Bob has a really good way of sharing the gospel with people and it just kind of flows right off of him. But you know why? Because they've been doing it for years. They've been declaring the good news. So what do we say? So we talk about declaring the gospel or declaring the good news. What is the good news? Well, what's the bad news first? Let's start with the bad news. You know what the bad news is? People have been separated from God because of sin. The bad news is you're going... To hell. The bad news is we've all eaten from the tree of sin. We've all eaten the apple, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is that your neighborhood, the ones you pass in your car every day, maybe, maybe if we're lucky, 50% are born again. That is probably stretching it. Maybe it's 30%. Where America's headed is like Europe, that is now 3 to 5%. So the bad news is you're going to be separated from God for eternity. Does that bother anybody? I can't Im- imagine. And man, I tell you, Tom knows this burden. I have a mother-in-law 
who's 87 and does not know Christ. And I go there almost every Tuesday to declare the good news of Jesus Christ to my mother-in-law because she is one stubborn fart. And I love her with all my heart. She's been so good to my family. And I tell my kids, when you're there, you realize that you're the instrument of God. We're the only people she sees. Yes, an angel can come in her bedroom and freak her out. Jesus could stand at the end of her bedroom. But we are the instruments of God to bring the gospel to our, your mother, my mother-in-law and your granny. She hadn't been out of her house in three and a half years. I cry over that woman. I cry in prayer for her. I can't imagine going to heaven and not seeing my mother-in-law. She's days, months. It's the grace of the Lord she's even alive. And we've got those people around us all the time. And that's the bad news. It's eternal separation from an amazing and loving God who cares about this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Pray for Suzanne. You can put her on your prayer list. But the good news that we are talking about, it is the wonderful message of God's redemption. Is anybody glad they're redeemed here? Is anybody glad that the Spirit of God convicted you of sin? Are you anybody glad that, that God came and he began to draw your heart to him? That you actually responded to the Spirit of God and you surrendered and said, yes. Is anybody glad? You did not do that yourself. But the Spirit of God drew you. And we have a glorious redemption that God has made for sinful man to be brought back into right relationship with God through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? amen. And that's the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins and our sonship with God through Jesus. <clears throat> so, I want to make this simple. <laughs> And I think that's why it's very important for you to memorize Scripture. I think it's very important for you to know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a really powerful passage to be able to share with your neighbor, isn't it? But the good news that we declare, and I, I've kind of simplified it a little bit, is God has made a way for you to be brought back into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God loves you and he wants you. This is what our good news is, for God so loved the world. But let's look. I want to I I look. That's kind of a simplified version. But how are we doing for time? Okay, we're going to be able to land this plane in good time. Last week we read Acts chapter 13 in our reading plan as a church. And Paul declares the good news in chapter 13. And here's what he says. Look what he calls them. What? Friends. It's a term of endearment. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. That 
is the gospel. That is the good news. That is what we need to be telling our neighbors. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of skins is being proclaimed to you by me today. That through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Is anybody glad they've been set free from every sin? Anybody? <laughs> you know that one thing you were really stupid at this week and you said yes to and you said no, said no to? Free. Everybody say free. free. We sang it today. I'm free. free. Sometimes I think we don't really believe we've been forgiven from all of our sins. I've taken that scripture and I paraphrased it according to Eric. Not adding or taking away from the word, but I thought, how could I tell that to Liz? How could I tell that to Rodney? How could I tell that to Debbie? How could I tell that to, to Wayman? And here's what I put down. Hey, neighbor. Hey, friend. I want you to know that I love you. And God loves you too. <laughs> Wayman, God has made a way for you to be, a forgi to be forgiven of your sins through Jesus Christ. Wayman, do you know that? Did you know that through Jesus, everyone who believes in him is set free from every sin? Wayman, did you realize that those who believe that they're set free from every sin? <laughs> Wayman, God looks at you as if you never sin when you accept Christ. Wayman, that's good news. Wayman, do you want God in your life? Wayman, do you want the good news? Wayman, do you want forgiven of all your sins? Oh, I don't know about that. I'll be the devil's advocate here. I had a conversation with him in the fall. He was burning some wood. And he got talking. He's been hurt by the church. So he don't want anything to do with the church. He's always kind of kept his distance from me for a while. But now he doesn't. He was talking about how a neighbor hurt him one time. And said, I said, wow, Wayman. Sounds like you got some real hurt and bitterness in there. You know, the Bible says that if we're going to be forgiven, we got to forgive others. Oh, I know, but man, I can't. Yeah, I don't know about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just drop the seed. Well, wait a minute, I'm going to pray for you, buddy, because I know when somebody hurts you, man, just, you just want to get even. But I love you, buddy. Hey, Wayman, let me help you come to know God and his son, Jesus. If they don't know God, I promise you, God is already dealing with their heart. And if they put a wall up, 
you just keep putting love up. If they put a wall up and they don't want to talk about it, you just keep serving and you keep loving. And I'm telling you, and that's what I'm doing with my mother-in-law. I love that woman well. I serve her. I give her my day off. My Sabbath many times is going to her to love and to cherish her and to give her my life. People don't need a hero. They need servants who care and love them. Can I have an amen that? Remember, I want to remind us today that we are instruments of bringing God's kingdom to the earth, and we are his tangible expression. Hear me. We're his tangible expression about how he feels about people. They think that God is judgmental, critical, mean, and we need to express that he is loving, caring, compassionate, and forgiving. Can I have an amen on that? We're his instruments of compassion and mercy, and you're a missionary to your street. Say, I'm a missionary to my street. Say it again. I'm a missionary to my street. Amen. So we can play a significant role in the spiritual renewal of our city if we will love our neighbors, if we will give to them the love of Jesus. And so my question today is, are you willing to give God your yes at loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor, knowing their names, discovering who they are, just like on the list, discover your neighbors, reach out and get to know them, what are their names, discern what they need, pray for them by name, and ask God how he wants you to serve them. Do what God says to do and obey, and declare the good news about Jesus to your neighbor. Can I have an amen on that? And then we're going to read Acts 15 and do here journal on the passage God highlights. And we're going to memorize Psalms 127.3. If you would stand up with me. Are you willing to give God your yes? If you said yes here, these action steps right here are going to be important for you to do. They're going to be important for you to begin to just go down and say yes to it and give the Lord your yes. Now, here's what the Lord, I felt he wanted me to do. And I don't have a, I don't have a, I didn't get a real clarity. I felt he wanted us to pray and to break some things off of us. And I felt like there was this thing on individualism and self-reliance that maybe we've participated with in our own lives. I know I have. I, I know that's why I believe people want their privacy and that they want to be left alone that then causes me to withdraw because I've bought the lie of individualism and privacy. Has anybody else maybe been struggling with that possibly? You, or is it just me? But I want to break agreement with in this individualism and self-reliance, and I just kind of want to lead us through a prayer uh, of breaking that. And so if you feel like maybe you've cooperated with that individualism or, or, or maybe you've really wanted privacy yourself and safety, and maybe you've you know, pulled away from people yourself, and, uh, but God wants us to begin to move into inter interdependence and, and community. So... If you would, just uh, close your eyes with me, and, and, and let's just uh, pray. 
I, I think what I want to do is I'm just going to have you um, repeat after me if you want to uh, with this issue of individualism and self-reliance. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just confess my cooperation of individualism and self-reliance. Today, God, I break agreement from individualism, and I break agreement with self-reliance. I take authority over that mindset. I come against the, the mindset of safety and privacy from people. Mm. I break agreement with safety and privacy. I will not get my safety from anything but you. I will not get my safety from myself. I will not get my safety from withdrawing from people. And I break agreement with it now. In the name of Jesus. And I ask God that you would forgive me for protecting myself. From protecting myself from people and even protecting people from Christians. <laughs> I felt that right there. Sometimes we feel like we need to protect people from Christians. Mm. Now, Father, today I declare... I get my safety and my security from you alone. I will not rely upon myself. I will trust you, God, for my safety and my security. I personally, God, do not need my privacy. <laughs> but I need connection and relationship with others. So, Father, I surrender this individualism and this need for privacy and safety to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, God. I really want to encourage you this week to begin to ask the Lord where are you falling into this trap of individualism and privacy that's coming in? It's, it's growing out of this need for safety and security. It's interesting. Karen and I watched a show last night, and it was a, about a, uh, it was a true story. And it was about in, in the 60s when there was a crime spree that where women were getting murdered and it was they thought it was a serial situation and it was amazing how many women just opened their homes up to this guy and just they walked in you wouldn't have that today in our culture because of the fear and insecurity i mean it was amazing when we were watching the show how much trust there was in our culture in 1965 and I know that individualism and this thing that we're talking about is coming out of that we don't have a trust in people anymore. And I think, and I'm not saying that we just blindly trust people. God gives us wisdom. But it's that we've, we've, we've twisted trust into trusting people rather than trusting God with people. 
It's that I can trust in God and him giving me discernment and wisdom when it comes to dealing with people. But because we've inverted it and we've made ourselves be what we determine trust to be, we just put a bubble around us and we don't trust anybody or we protect ourselves. And there's something with this individualism that we really got to deal with this week and not let it come back in as we've renounced it and rebuked it in Jesus' name. Does that bear witness with anybody? Mike, was there something that you had? I just saw you. Mm -hmm. Sure. I'm going to trust you. <laughs> it's uh, very interesting because I went over and was going to say something, and then, like, maybe I should just go up and say, Do you trust me? <laughs> um, but as Eric was preaching, and he mentioned his, your mother-in-law. I guess I'll ask the question first. Did anybody feel a burden? Like, just kind of fall? Because part of evangelism is also being sensitive and knowing if there's an urgency. And I have a great mother-in-law. The word says in, in Romans and in Corinthians that we're to be happy with those who are happy. And we hurt and we cry with those who cry. And uh, when you said that, I can't imagine... being in eternity... And him and his wife and his kids and his grandkids not seeing grandma and great-grandma. I don't know what heaven would be like, but I would not want that. I don't want that for my kids, but I don't want it for my friend or his kids. So I want us to take a moment and I'll say a prayer and you pray as well. You can use your spirit language, whatever you think. But a long time, not a long time ago, but a while back, Eric, not you, Eric, but Eric Morgan's dad was in a similar scenario and he asked us to pray. And he had an encounter, and he got saved within days. And I believe that not just can God visit her, but how much more special for her son. To walk her through heaven. So let's pray. So, Father, Jesus, you died for us all when we were all yet sinners. And you love Suzanne 
and you love the Haler family and all that family. So Jesus, we ask you that you would just encounter her heart in a way that she has never encountered love and kindness. And that when Eric goes and he sees his mother-in-law on Tuesday, that 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 your spirit would just fall and would soften a lovely lady's heart, and that and that he would be able to lead her to your yes. salvation. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And that there would be just a sweet peace in Suzanne and the family. We believe and we declare that salvation over her soul and her mind and that we celebrate that even right now you are working and that Suzanne will be saved yes. and she will know you and the family will be able to see her in heaven. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. So this week, let's, let's love our neighbors well. And let's pray for our neighbors, just like we prayed for Suzanne. Thank you for praying for her, and thank you for taking on that burden with me. And if you have someone that you are praying for in their salvation, let's begin to share that with others so that way we can continue to carry one another's burdens and begin to pray. And let's change the spiritual landscape of this city and this region. Can I have an amen on that? Amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We love you.